Guten Erev Shabbos to children, grandchildren, and select friends. The parsha this week is Shmot, which means names. The grand theme in this Sefer Shmot is uh, evidenced by what it is referred to by the rabbis is Sefer Galut Vegeula, the book of exile and redemption. And that theme, which started actually in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Chava were exiled from the Garden of Eden. So over here, and we saw it with Avraham, who came to Israel, uh, to Canaan from Ur Kasdim, and no sooner had they arrived that they went down because there was a famine and came back. And so we have that theme and we have it over here as well. But now Israel are going down and then will be redeemed. And the rabbis tell us that every descent is only in order to arrive at an even steeper and grander ascent. And that happened, of course, in due course with the exodus from Egypt as well. We see a very rapid turnaround in the fate and fortune of the Jewish people from being right at the top with Joseph being the viceroy. Uh, a new uh, king arises in Egypt, by the way, unnamed um, at this point, uh, who doesn't know, quote unquote, Joseph. We all know people who don't remember the good that was done for them. And clearly this king was one of those people, conveniently forgot or wasn't informed, which is highly unlikely and begins to fear the excess productivity, um, productive nature of the Jewish people who are reproducing at a high rate, and he becomes nervous about the future and safety of his people. From that, and the names, the Shemot, really are the names, Jew, Jewish, the Jewish tradition is that the name defines your capacity, your potential, and your essence. And so we hear the, the names of the people who came down into Egypt, and when they leave, those names will be repeated again. And so we know that they never changed their names, which is one of the things they didn't do while they were in Egypt. The thing that's interesting is the word used is habayim, are coming to Egypt, present tense. In other words, when you want to maintain your identity, you never fully arrive. You're always in the process of coming, and that's what they, uh, that's what they did. Having recently counted to 70 and now again counting, God counts Jewish people because to God, every Jewish person counts. We are counters, and here we see it again. While the people coming into Egypt are named, and a, a total of 70 people, um, what we see is that uh, the idea of naming very quickly disappears in this week's Parsha. And that symbolizes the transition from a family to a nation. In a family, every single person is a key named member of the family, but as we become the Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel, uh, symbolically, the names kind of get disappeared. The most glaring one is that uh, when Moses is born, it basically talks about an anonymous Levite, unnamed, takes an anonymous Levite woman, and they have a child, and that's it. There's no name. There's no names to any of them. That's our, our greatest hero, uh, our, the greatest servant that God ever had, the most loyal one, uh, was, uh, was born. Not into glory and not into fame or fortune, but a simple couple, unnamed. Uh, so his background is about as basic as they get. And yet he overcame that simplistic background and overcame his upbringing in the house of Pharaoh's palace and uh, retained his Jewish identity. When he walks out of the palace, he notices, he wants to see how his brothers are doing. So he's always been aware of his Jewish ancestry. Of course, this is very, very resonant 
of the story of Joseph, which we just hardly finished, who also ended up uh, in the palace of Pharaoh, growing up uh, in a foreign culture and remaining very true to his Jewish roots. And then he finds three situations that, that um, basically um, draw, uh, draw to Hashem's attention his great leadership ability. The, the first one is an Egyptian uh, fighting with a Jew. He kills the Egyptian. Then a Jew is fighting with a Jew and he tries to make peace over there. And then he sees the, the daughters of Yitro are uh, abused and he takes issue with them as well. All of these things that identify him as a leader. And we see throughout that people who are worthy of leadership have some distinguishing qualities and he exhibits them. First of all, he sees everything, vayar and vayar and vayar, but he doesn't just see, he also acts. So to see deeply, to see profoundly, to observe, and then to act is the hallmark of Moshe's leadership. And as the rabbis tell us, when Moshe is described as a shepherd, it's not just what he did, it's what he was. And there are beautiful midrashim about uh, how he went to save a particular sheep, baby, uh, a small sheep, that had wandered off, carried it back on his back, uh, and so on. And then he sees the burning bush, representative, of course, of the history of the Jewish people. We, for thousands of years, we've been burnt constantly, and yet uh, we never get consumed by the flames. We retain our integrity and our structure. There are four points about the burning bush that I thought would be worthy of note. Firstly, that it took place on Mount Sinai. That was the beginning of the relationship between Moses and Hashem and ultimately between the Jewish people and Hashem where the covenant was entered into. Secondly, when uh, Hashem says, take off your shoes, the word raglecha doesn't just mean your feet. It also means your habitual practices. The word ragel, ragil is regular similar sounding, uh, and which is normal or repetitive. That's what Ragil really means. And the uh, interesting interpretation is unbundle yourself from that which is your routine or your regular and get ready for the extraordinary. Secondly, God says to him, no need to come closer because the land that you're standing on is holy. And we see from that the idea that for a Jew, every land we stand on is holy. So God didn't prohibit him from coming closer. It's as if he said to him, no need to come closer because you're already on holy land. And by taking off your shoes and uh, connecting with the earth, you become human. You understand suffering, pain, and discomfort, and you are ready to make the place where you are sanctified and holy. And finally, uh, and this is a point directly from Rabbi David Lappin, what we see over here is the idea of spiritual energy. The way that a bush burns without consuming fuel is because it is on fire as a result of a different kind of energy, spiritual energy, he calls it. And I think what it begins to teach Moshe is that there is more at work in the world than we can see and gets him ready for a whole lot more of the manifestation of that spiritual energy. He also demonstrates incredible curiosity because he comes past the burning bush and he notices something different is afoot. There are, there are many people, and the, the Midrashim tell us, many people who walked past the so-called burning bush without being consumed and didn't notice anything unusual. 
And so, you know, he noticed that it was unusual. He saw difference and he went up to observe it more closely. And that is absolutely critical. Uh, Jews see difference. We observe distinctions. We notice things. We pay attention. And he did. While dealing with the concept of curiosity, uh, I, I must share a, uh, an anecdote that I think is quite relevant about how critical it is in life. It's one of the great characteristics that we learn from Moshe and should try to emulate. I heard that the, uh, the whole drip irrigation system that feeds much of the world today was uh, discovered by a professor at the Ben-Gurion University in the uh, Negev, where he noticed that one particular tree was thriving in the middle of the desert with no apparent source of nutrition. And then he began, they began to dig around to see what was going on, why this tree was flourishing. And they found that one of the main water pipes had a very tiny leak, subterranean leak that was feeding this. And that, just the curiosity of seeing why is this tree flourishing when there's nothing growing around it, uh, led to a transformation for the world. So curiosity is a characteristic that we learn from Moshe and we should try to emulate. And he approaches the, this, this burning bush and sees really, and God points out to him and he notices that this burning bush exhibits that there are really two kinds of energy in the world. There's physical energy, which is normally exhibited when wood burns to keep a fire going, and there's spiritual energy exhibited right before him over here. He sees that the tree is burning, but the wood continues to be alive. And that is a profound observation, which God immediately tasks him with the uh, job of leading the Jewish people. God tells him to remove his shoes, because the ground on which he's standing is sacred, from which we learn that it is up to us to create sacred ground by removing the barriers between us and that sanctity. The lesson for all of us is the place where we're standing is holy. Wherever we find ourselves as Jews, it's an essentially, potentially holy place. We need to take off our shoes. We need to take off our coverings and our protections and lay bare our souls and acknowledge and then embrace the possibility of transforming any place, any action, anywhere into holiness. And that is, that is what happens over there. He then utters the, uh, the classic words, Lo ish I'm not a man of words. And we see the transformation and transition as Moshe goes from this lowly, lowly shepherd, which by the way, is a, is a precondition to being God's servant. Because if you're a shepherd, you already know how to take care of pretty helpless animals. And that caring for and loving for the animals is exhibited in how he took care of every Jew. We see over here this idea of law ishtvarimanochi, and yet the transformation and the growth is such that by the time we get to the fifth book of the Torah, it is called Dvarim, a whole book dedicated to the Dvarim of Moshe. And that growth, that evolution, that transformation from someone who's law ishtvarim to one who is a ishtvarim par excellence is perhaps the greatest lesson Moshe taught all of us because, and he is known as our rabbi, Moshe Rabbeinu, and perhaps of me, the many lessons which we learn, some of which are in this parasha and I'm dealing with, perhaps the greatest one is that all of us has that potential. And we can, we can come from the most lowly backgrounds as he did, and we can overcome everything. We live in a society where people carry their backgrounds with them forever. And that breaks their ability, the, that, that puts a break on their ability to grow and expand and achieve because they're stuck with the memory of their background. Uh, he didn't. He overcame everything. So uh, we see that transformation. 
the uh, allusion to the Pesach story is also evidence because after Moshe uh, is born, uh, he is uh, basically put into a, um, a teva. By the way, you will notice the resonances with Noah, who also was in a teva, also made with pitch and also floated on the river. And by the way, among the many things they have in common is that they both, in a sense, saved the world. But uh, the differences are, are, are also quite stark because Noah starts off as Ish Tzadik, uh, a righteous man, and ends up being Ish Adama, whereas Moshe has the opposite trajectory. He starts off as basically a nameless baby and ends up being the leader par excellence of the Jewish uh, people. But in the process, he's put into the Teva, and uh, in the Teva, he is hidden and hidden even before that, uh, before he gets big enough to be in the Teva. And the, the, the word that's used for the hiddenness of Moshe is the word vatitz penehu, which means he was hidden. And the word that we use for the matzah that is hidden as the afikoman during the Pesach Seder is called tzafun, directly the same word. And so in a sense, Moshe's hiddenness is symbolized at our Pesach Seder by the hiddenness of the middle matzah. And so God says to him, the ground on which you're standing is sacred, remove your shoes, and then appoints him after some back and forth to be the leader of the Jewish people with Aharon and to re redeem the Jewish people from their suffering in Egypt. A theme throughout the book is the contrast between Jewish aspiration, Jewish society, and Egyptian. And if we look at the way Egyptian society was structured, Almost every aspect of it is diametrically opposed to the ideal society that God envisions for the Jewish people. Egypt is a society of death, focused on building pyramids as tributes to those who are dead, mummifying them, a society built on magic with slaves and a single leader uh, who was not subject to moderation or mediation. Judaism, on the other hand, is life-centered. Those that save a single life we know save a world. There is no single authoritative person on earth who represents the Jewish people. Even when we had kings, there was always a prophet to mediate and moderate, and even the agriculture was completely different. Uh, Egypt was permanently watered by tributaries and small trenches from the, the Nile, whereas the agriculture in Israel comes directly from God, we are told, through rain and dew. The name Egypt, Mitzrayim, means narrow straits, and the land to which we are promised to be taken will be Eretz Tova Urufava, a good and wide land. Uh, of all the things you could say about Israel, width is certainly not its uh, greatest attribute, and yet we see that the antidote to Egypt, the very opposite to everything Israel that Egypt stands for, symbolized even here by the width of Israel or the breadth uh, compared with the narrowness of Mitzrayim, which of course is not really narrow in a physical sense. So we see the spiritual contrast. It is said that the uh, grains that we are prohibited from eating during Pesach are the grains that grow most easily and most frequently in Egypt. So we even further distance ourselves from the Egyptian experience in every conceivable way. You see specific examples of righteous Gentiles, the daughter of Pharaoh, and the uh, two midwives are not Jewish, and yet they save the Jewish life. 
and that is the precursor to the righteous gentles that have been around throughout time and are to this day marked at uh, the Yad Vashem Memorial. Good Shabbos, everybody, and have a safe and wonderful weekend.